What you're yeah. saying, Johnny, is you're not writing it down to remember it later. You're writing it down to remember it now. I'm writing it down to remember it anytime. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 165 of the Erasable Podcast. I'm Johnny, here with Andy and Tim, and tonight you'll notice a familiar voice. Longtime Erasable friend Caitlin joins us from Brooklyn, and we're so happy that you're here. Hello! Caitlin! Yay, Yay we're glad you're here. When did you move to Brooklyn? Uh, like, shoot, has it been almost four years now? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> You've been there for a while. Since before yeah, we knew you? Or so, or so, I don't know. <laughs> no, you used to live in Jersey City, <laughs> No, no, right? I used to live in Jersey City. You're right. Okay. No, but when I left Jersey City, I went right to Brooklyn. I've been... Oh, okay. You're just like, like skipped right over Manhattan. 2017, I think. Okay. Nice. Yeah. 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 So tonight we're going to talk about marginalia, like people who write in their books. And one of us does not write in their books. So this will be a super fun yes, topic, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, Oochie. I'm a savage. I write in mine. <laughs> so but, Andy. want to start us off with Tools of the Trade, Miss Caitlin? Sure. Wouldn't it be terrible if you had me on and I was the one who couldn't talk about marginalia? <laughs> that would have been like, funny. Defend yourself. <laughs> what, what exactly are you doing here? We have yeah. totally set you up. <laughs> what gives Anyways. you the nerve to <laughs> Whomst among us. (laughs) Um, On that note, what am I consuming? It's been a while since I've done one of these. I've been binging a lot of YouTube lately, and it's mostly been all criminal psychology. I don't know if you'll hear a theme here, because the other thing I've been binging is I'll Be Gone in the Dark on HBO, which is like the extension of the book that Michelle McNamara wrote about catch about yeah. the Golden State Killer, who they caught using like a lot of her research, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, I've just been delving a- way too deep into criminal minds. A friend <laughs> of mine, uh, her mother lives like four blocks away from where they, they caught him in Citrus Heights. That's so creepy. Yeah. It's such a, like, the whole thing is so creepy. Yeah. Um, but the I found this great YouTube channel where this guy has all this uh, footage from interrogation rooms, and he talks about the interrogation techniques that the police are using. And I tell you, I watch a lot of Law & Order SVU, and... Yeah. There's just subtleties that happen in real police work that just don't happen on television. And they're really fascinating and really interesting. And yeah, it just there's a lot that goes into interrogation technique that I just didn't even realize. So that's been a fun binge for me. What's been your favorite like little detail of it? Because I'm, I'm super curious. Like what's um, one little discovery about it that has just just kind of like stuck in your brain? Like the way the 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 subtle way that good cop bad cop can work. I think it was a Jody Arias one. They did like this whole long special on her, and they show the interrogation where one day they have a female. She starts inter- the interrogation with one male detective, and then the next day they start it with a female detective, and she's not like outright mean. That's is like that's the thing that like catches me the most is that they're not outright mean. They're just sort of talking down to you in a way that's trying to get her to like break. And that's her bad cop technique is just like putting like the guilt pressure on. And then they bring the other guy in who 
was giving her like a hard time the day before, but now she trusts him more because he seems easier on her than the female detective. It's like, it's, oh, it's so subtle. So it's not like slamming the fist on the table and <laughs> no, <laughs> shining the bright light in your face. Let me at her. I wish. Car- I, well, cartoon I don't version. Wish. Yeah. The other thing yeah. I find really interesting about it is just like watching the interrogation footage and what people do when they don't know they're being watched. <laughs> It's uh-huh. and yeah, like Jody Arias is a <laughs> crazy person. We don't need to go into that. Maybe I should talk about stationery instead. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I've been sticking with the classic Merman. Do you guys know how to say this word right? Is it nemesine? I think it's so a I think it's but, but but also that's like I think how you pronounce like the it's the Greek god of memory or something Greek goddess of memory or something like that. Right, right. I've been using this notebook, the same notebook, not exactly this exact same one. I've been using their branded notebook in the A5 size for years, and I haven't deviated. Mm. It's like my everyday notebook for everything. Such a good notebook. Um, But I recently started bullet journaling lightly, and I broke into my Field Notes National Parks for that. Nice. Yeah. Oh, and we'll get into this in a, a... bit i guess but i i'm going to talk about pens for a second i've discovered these really fun felt tip they almost look like a a felt tip felt like a plastic fountain pen you know like the the disposable ones Mm -hmm. and they kind of write like one but they're like a marker they're so nice and they come in a whole bunch of colors it's called a pentel pull-a-man pull-a-man they're fun interesting they are like What is the difference between this and those plastic fountain pens? Well, because it, it, it's like they remind me of like a micron pen almost. Yeah, cool. but they're not—they're—they're they're not fountain pens. So I guess it's just that like weird tip. Yeah, but they write really nice. The like burgundy Ooh. pink color is my favorite. Hmm. Oh yeah, that's what I got going right <laughs> now. How about you, Tim? I am. It sounds in the background, it sounds like somebody's playing like an old arcade game. What, what is that? <laughs> that would be the sirens in my neighborhood. Oh, okay. A right. lot of them sound all... really wacky. Okay. Because all I'm hearing is like, <laughs> bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> Yes. Bloop. Yep. Okay. All right. <laughs> a few days ago, I got a new book. It's The author's name is William Sounder, and it's a new biography of John Steinbeck called Mad at the World that came out I think it was last November kind of snuck by and I didn't didn't notice it and I've never actually read as big of a Steinbeck fan as I am I've never actually read one of his biographies because and I know this is a bad mindset that I have but if I'm looking for a biography on somebody especially a writer and it was written like a really long time ago I just immediately don't want to read don't want to read it and i think that's a bad thing i need to get over that but this one popped up and i was like oh it's well it's brand new i'll you know i'll give it a try and i got it a few days ago and i'm like halfway through it and it's actually super interesting and um really enjoying that great title too mad at the world yeah but i would highly recommend if, if you're interested in him at all i'm also re-watching ted lasso oh yeah because you know every once in a while you just get to that point where you just need some ted lasso positivity in your in your life <laughs> and so i've just been re-watching that on my own and then the saddest thing on my list uh is i have been watching a lot of like disc golf tournaments on youtube 
<laughs> yeah. Why? This is a safe space, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah nobody's yes. listening to No, this. I just, I, I'm very yeah. curious what watching this I, is like. <laughs> yeah. So it is, so the feel of watching it, because I play disc golf and I've been getting back into it over the last like month. And so I've been playing a lot. And so I've been trying to just like watching stuff just to see what people who are actually good at this do, because it's just a good excuse to get out and walk through the woods. But the watching it is actually, it's, it's, it's like, let me finish the sentence before you respond. It's like watching <laughs> golf, but, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the, the tournaments are, they don't actually show them live. They don't actually th- show it live. So you only see like, every throw so i mean they're throwing like like 400 yards i mean these like crazy long distances and wrapping them around trees and throwing them under over these like sort of like overpass obstacles and stuff so yeah <laughs> i've been watching a lot of those and so they, they take like a whole tournament that they film and then they compress it to like 40 minutes mm-hmm. and you just see like the highlights so is it kind of like <laughs> watching like trick pool there there are like trick throw people out there but this is more like i mean these guys are just like throwing the frisbee like a mile and just like doing all these (laughs) it's so i guess it can be like trick pool like if they have to get around trees they'll throw these crazy Uh discs that go like 200 feet up in the air and wrap around the tree and then go into the basket so that's pretty cool but yeah so that's okay. just, I'm just being honest. That's what I've been doing <laughs> late at, late at night. I'll put on some, some disc golf videos on YouTube <laughs> and I'm not Jane, ashamed Jane of walks it. In, what are you, what are you watching? And you just nothing. switch right away to something else. Like nothing. Yeah. Close your <laughs> laptop. Nothing. Yeah. You're like nothing porn, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Anything but telling her it's disc golf. But yeah. So that's, that's me. And I have been writing with, a, actually, I, I found the other day I was heading out of the house and I picked up like a Beyond Steinbeck stage 602 that was all like chewed up by the sharpener and stuff. And I, and it's just kind of stuck with me for a couple of days. <laughs> so I've, I'm still using that. And I am using the, the like craft brown and spiral notebook I talked about a couple episodes ago. No, but the, the one that I was, it was almost my perfect notebook for the moment of what I was looking for. But then I realized that all the pages were perforated and it kind of bummed me out. But that's, <laughs> Do the craft that's ones, me. does the spiral come undone? Mm-mm. Like the covers come off? No, it hasn't yet, that's... but I haven't been using it that long though. Mm-hmm. So That's my one complaint you know. with the black plastic <laughs> does. ones. Does the one come off sometimes? How does it come off if it's plastic? Just from the, the spiral like yeah, separating? Like the, like the spiral has does that thing where it like separates a little bit? I don't know how to describe it. Oh, I guess like where like it's almost like a claw, like it grabs through or whatever. Yeah, okay. No, this one is spiral like the kind you like the Lisa Frank spiral. Like the the ones you (laughs) the ones you get at like Walmart or whatever. It's just spiraled all the way through. So I got the Lisa Frank spiral. (laughs) Less less cute like husky and penguin cartoons. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So that's me. How about you, Andy? Well, if you think disc golf tournaments on YouTube is exciting, just wait till I tell you what book I'm reading right now. <laughs> it's called it's called Track Changes: A Literary History of Word Processing, and it's about the history of word processing. I just I've been it's a book that I've been aware of for a few years. I was at City Lights Bookstore and I saw it there, and I took a picture of it. Uh, and I meant to like go back and get it, but they were out. They didn't have it in stock anymore when that happened. So kind of put it on hold for a while and 
a friend of mine is moving and she owned this book and she was like, she was like, you should like, can I give you this book? It seems like something you would like. And I was like, oh my God, it, it's exactly what I want to read. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because it's about sort of like, I mean, it's about the history of word processing, but specifically seen through the eyes of authors and people who are like writing like text and literature with it. Like, how does it affect your, <laughs> how does it affect the author's kind of like process and perception of, of the novel, things like that? There's a really good part in there about, oh, the book that, it's called The Talisman. It was a book from the 80s that Stephen King wrote with somebody else, another kind of horror author who I'm drawing a blank on right now. But it was, as far as they can tell, the first book that was ever written, like co-written through email. And they would transfer, I, I don't think it was email protocol, but it was like they would transfer using a modem text files back and forth with each other. And there were all these things, they were using different styles of computer and they weren't super compatible with each other. Like all the quotation marks would not would not translate. So they they would use like other symbols besides quotation marks when they would like send it back and forth, like things that were compatible with each other. It was, it's really fascinating. Interesting. And... Yeah, there's the first ever word processor that was made for a personal computer was called the electric pencil. Mm, and nice. it's it's really it's really fascinating. If you look up electric pencil word processing, you can see all of these really amazing like loading screens that are all it's like on a green screen computer, right? It's from the seventies. And they just just are like ASCII art pencils. It's a Oh really my god, great, that's awesome. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll see if I can get a picture maybe for show notes or something. But yeah, I just something I learned in in reading reading this. So yeah, it's a really interesting book. I'm only partway through it. It's a little bit dense, so it goes kind of slow. Another thing I never really realized is that you know there are these word processing apps like WordPerfect, which was a big thing, and there was one called LetterPerfect and something else that had Perfect in the name. And I didn't realize when you're talking about like typing, the word Perfect is like used to to denote like a specific thing like you know you have a, if you have a perfect copy of something it is all typeset there's no mistakes there's no whiteout right like you like it's it's like ready to go and so when when they used to use the word perfect in that sense that's kind of what it meant it was like a metaphor that was very much geared toward toward typing and of course now like with a word processing app everything is perfect nobody's crossing out anything or you know accidentally going off the page or outside of the margins or anything so it's like one of those metaphors that just don't don't need to exist anymore. So, yeah, this whole book is kind of about that that relationship and kind of how it changed the way that people think about writing and think about think about processing words, which is really cool. Awesome. Yeah. And I am writing in a Write Notepad's Kindred Spirit, which is one of my favorite pocket notebooks, and. Today I've been using actually right here in front of me I have both a Musgrave News 600 News and a really beat up Blackwing 530 which is that gold one with the black stripe which I really like. Ooh, it's like charcoal and uh, fire with your yeah <laughs> they're definitely <laughs> a lot different. Got the extra firm Blackwing graphite and then the the News graphite yeah which is just like a crayon I don't know, like. Yeah. Like yeah, like black crayon. Yeah, that's like antimatter <laughs> wrapped up like, like sidewalk chalk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you can't touch the two tips together, or else they'll you know the universe will implode. <laughs> don't cross the streams. Yeah, don't, don't cross the streams, Johnny. It is. What, what's up with you? 
Um, so I recently watched a um, miniseries on Ripbox called Unforgiven that was really, really good and also really, really depressing. It's about this lady who she gets released from prison after 15 years for murdering two police officers and then goes back to live in the town that she lived in before. It's, just, it's Some of it is hard to watch, but it gets very good. I thought, I thought you were going to be talking about Clint Eastwood. I got excited for a second. <laughs> Me too. They said Brit Box. I was like, oh, okay. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> so one of Johnny's British shows. I'm <laughs> yeah. so behind I'm on one those. of Johnny's British shows. I'm a sucker for a nice, like, five, six episode miniseries. Yeah. I was also watching I, Quirk, but I fell asleep during the last one. So I'm, I'm not going to. I tell you, Johnny, you would love Mayor of Easttown. Yeah, six that's on my list. Or seven episode miniseries. And um, I also watched Halston recently, which is a newish miniseries on Netflix about the fashion designer starring Mr. Hewan McGregor. And we were talking about this before we recorded. There's a scene with a very stylishly dressed Ewan McGregor having a walk with Kelly Bishop, who famously played my serious crush, Emily Gilmore. And it's just it's a very beautiful scene. It's worth watching <laughs> the we... series just for that. So, Johnny, th- I've always been a little confused about this. Is it specifically Emily, Emily Gilmore that you have a crush on, or is it like Kelly Bishop? Well, it was Emily Gilmore, but now it is. <laughs> okay. It is. But a, it he is used to be a ballerina, them. so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, we can just um, add all these layers to how amazing Kelly Bishop is. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Halston sounds like they had me editing in their cuss words. So <laughs> seeing Kelly Bishop repeatedly dropping F-bombs was really funny and satisfying. Yeah. But I definitely... Figure out how to like take the audio of Halston and drop it over a Gilmore Girls episode or something. <gasps> Ooh, make like a deep fake. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, that'd be that fun. would be awesome. But it was <laughs> it was a really really good series, and of course lots of pencil porn. It being about fashion design, so that was cool. And Bill Pullman, who seems to be having a sort of Bill Murray esque but not funny renaissance in his career, was in it. And he was like a corporate bigwig. <laughs> And it's the first time I've seen him in a while, not bearded. So that was interesting. And I'm embarrassed to say I'm still reading that giant Thoreau biography because it's slow going. But it's I've read a couple Thoreau biographies and none of them go into a lot of detail about like his note taking process. And with this being an, a quote unquote intellectual biography, they talk a lot about Thoreau's reading and how he was sort of like a chain reader. Like he'd find one book and then just like go down a rabbit hole of all the books that inspired that. And that he had extract books of like stuff about native Americans, stuff about Carlisle. This is really, really interesting. I always just thought of him as having a bunch of journals and instead What's an extract like, book. I mean, it's not a commonplace book because it's themed. So I guess it's hmm. like quotations from books he got out of the library at Harvard hmm. or borrowed from Emerson, but they all survive evidently, which is super cool. I think they're, sort of spread out between the Morgan Library and Concord. But yeah, if you really want to dive deep down some kind of really nerdy hole, it is good reading. I enjoy it. And it uh, has enormous margins for jotting stuff, which we can <laughs> talk about later. And I'm rocking a Musgrave single barrel in a Rhodia gold book. I bought one of these a couple months ago for a bullet journal and I hated it. And I don't know what changed, but I bought another one and it's like a completely different book. The lines aren't too dark. The paper feels amazing. And I got sapphire blue. And it's so pretty. But is it the regular rhodium right paper? Yeah, but it's cream colored. Hmm. And it's like, 
You know how some, like one in five Leuchtturm books you get will have some kind of rough paper going on. My last one was like that. So writing in this has actually made some of my pens squeak because it's like smooth on smooth. <laughs> it's really just weird, but in a good way. Yeah. So you want to jump into some fresh points before we go doodling in the margins? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I want to, I want to hear about the store. It's killing me. I been dying to like rant and rave about it because when I discovered it I didn't immediately have somebody to just start squealing at <laughs> so I started squealing <laughs> at the poor ladies who work there so uh, let me just start off by saying it's my two dream stores sharing one space on one side they have this beautiful very minimalist plant store called the moss and green and it's this woman who has all these like gorgeous little plants that she specializes in, in kokodama which is it's kind of like bonsai but it's smaller and a little bit more compact it's like these little balls of moss with the plant growing out of it they're so pretty but next right next to it is a high tide slash penco store called corner shop and they are carrying mm. all of the best japanese stationary stuff you could ever want in this like teeny, teeny, tiny, smaller than the original CW, mind you, like tiny space tucked away in Williamsburg. I'm not kidding. I almost cried. Like, cause the, the Penco, like my favorite thing from Penco has always been their little plastic boxes. I don't know what it is about them. They're just like simple. I don't know. They have cute little like labels that come with them. They look a little bit like retro and they have every single size of that. They have these great, it's not like wax canvas, but they're, it's like that plasticky tarp roll cases that are incredible. And they carry those in every size. So you can have them for your pens and pencils, but also for your like gardening tools. So many yeah. notebooks, so many pens. My favorite pen I actually picked up there though was their free business pen. And I wish I had gotten more than one. I'll have to go back and try to get you guys one of these because it's like, it's just like a big crystal, but it's this like really nice off white and it's made by Pilot. Ooh. So it's like a plastic like the plastic pilot version of a Bic crystal. Whoa. And it's would got their you, logo would you say on that, it. Would you say that like Penco is to like Japan nostalgia as Field Notes is to like American nostalgia? I'd say, hmm. I mean, I'd say similar vibes for sure. Because mm -hmm. Field Notes, I guess, is trying to bring back the feel of the like, like actual Field Notebooks. Where Penco, yeah, is kind of doing this like really minimalist kind of classic looking almost yeah. industrial in some ways maybe um, it's better to say like draplin like ddc is like yeah yeah classic. i think you could yeah, say yeah. it's a little bit similar but they have like all the little like gadgetry too like they have these like click manual labelers mm. you know like the p-touch brother labeler but the kind yeah. that's like manual oh. and you click the letters i still have yeah. one of those i love it <laughs> yeah, there's it's just so much fun stuff. That was Did my, I tell you I met the I met the high tide CEO. Oh really? The Bruce Eamon, who is a guy in the Bay Area who I'm friends with and is pretty well connected to Japanese stationary stuff. I just mm -hmm. ran into them at the uh, Renegade Craft Fair in San Francisco the year before 
like probably 2019 and oh wow bruce was was there with with him and just like oh hey andy meet so and so yeah it was i didn't realize until later who it was, it was oh really wow cool. i love that yeah yeah there was a really good high tide pop-up in a shop in san francisco a few years ago we don't have a storefront yet but i i think there's a few around here that carry high tide and mm-hmm. penco stuff so i love it this the store actually just did a pop-up that's closed now with an LA brand. And I wish I could remember what it was. I'll have to share it with you later, Hmm. but it was just like even more Japanese stationary wonderfulness. Hmm. (laughs) It's like how, how many pencil cases is too many cases? (laughs) I kind of want them all. Well, if they all have pencils in them. And say, how many pencils do you have? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you know what? I could start just separating them into all all, like little pieces. Just Mm -hmm. clutter everywhere. (laughs) That's it. That's what I got. (laughs) How about you, Tim? Oh, Oh. I only have one. I don't have much to report, but I am, I did a little bit of writing for Johnny's upcoming pencil revolution zine. Yay. It's coming out, and that was a lot of fun. And it's just kind of a weird conversion of Steinbeck because that's going to be, you know, the subject matter of what what Johnny's working on. And it was a lot of fun to write, and I happened to kind of work on it the same weekend I got that book, so I was all revved up. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I tried to, to kind of get in the mindset for writing this piece. And so I wrote it like him. I used the biggest notebook I can find, <laughs> which was the, uh, which actually this is relevant to the marginalia stuff, but I, I used my book term master. What was it called the master book? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That gigantic thing. I used that. And I used my original 602 that I, the only one I have sharpened. So, and that was just a very fun, very fun time. And what I was going to say about the marginalia is that one of the things that I've learned, and I, I can't remember if we've talked about it before is that Steinbeck was so like, I don't know if it was stingy, or like, he just like always, he just had like a, a scarcity mindset. Like he was always just <laughs> acting as if he had nothing, which I mean, I know can benefit in some way, but like he would write sometimes like two lines per space, like per row on a page. Like he was writing mm-hmm. so small and he would even write like sideways in the margins. Like, so he would just keep composing in the margins. So by the time he was done, these big ledger books that he would write with would just be like a solid sheet of of graphite, which is just That's so kind cool. of insane. And there was, I didn't write about, I didn't write about this for the thing, but one of my like, favorite stories I came across this weekend, which you probably saw a few years ago, but one of the videos that Blackwing put out when they did the 24 is they, they told a story about how his handwriting was so small and, and like indecipherable <laughs> that when the, the person who is at his publisher who typed up all his manuscripts and like edited them, like died like finally died like later in his career they're like they actually had to contact him and say no one here can read what you're writing like (laughs) we can't read your writing so you need to get a typewriter and type this up and he was like pissed (laughs) can you imagine what steinbeck Uh, would have done with a word processor oh Oh yeah (laughs) He, he was he was he was pissed and so he went out and bought a an IBM Selectric and it was just like super loud and he was all pissed about it because he was he was a bad typist so he had like he typed with like five fingers or whatever and then for <laughs> it's like revenge apparently he he went out and bought uh Selectric font balls in like 
Russian in like all these weird languages. <laughs> and then he would like send them typed up manuscripts just using the English keyboard, but putting like the Russian ball in, he would send it to him and be like, can you read it now? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a video. Blackwing has a video from their interviews with Thomas Steinbeck and he tells that story. And I just thought that was really hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's all I've got. Yeah. And I, you, I'm not saying oh, this to uh, promote my zine, but Tim's piece is really, really effing good. <laughs> so tune in. Well, thank you, Johnny. You thank can you. promote that's a lot of work. That's what this whole thing is for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andy, how about you? Well, I'm a little embarrassed to say that the only fresh points I have here are about fountain pens, not pencils, which is like, I don't know. I feel like you should put me in a penalty box or something. There's like Um, a fountain pen creep happening on this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) We try to keep it away from us in that other podcast, but (laughs) who do you blame, blame, John? I was going to say I blame Tim, but it's not Tim's fault. Yeah, you should. (laughs) I think it might be my fault. It's all your fault. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. One of the things I wanted to mention is I made a nice big healthy order on the well-appointed desk shop the other day. That's Anna Reinert's online store attached to her blog. I bought bought a little thing that lets me clean rubber stamps. And I also bought a really cool little rubber stamp of one of her cats. I think it's Lucy of Totality looking up at you from inside a box, which is really great. But I also, the main reason I, I shopped there was I really wanted a collar ring, which is that thing she sells that are... Uh, basically like je- blank Japanese flashcards, like little oh two inch by four inch pieces of paper on like a ring. And she sells them to use for like ink swatch samples because I think I mentioned it last time, but Johnny sent me a bunch of different green colors and I was having trouble sort of remembering the like slight differences between them. So now I have a little place to hold um, fountain pen ink swatches and how many are in here? Like, I think there's a hundred cheats in here. So that oh, means geez. I can get a, a hundred different shades of green. <laughs> that, is, that is a good title. Yeah. hundred, hundred shades of green. <laughs> New slash fic, fountain pen slash fic by, by Andy Wilfley. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had that at one point, me and Michael Hagen from Leadfast were going to start a green pen blog. And the best we could come up with as a deferred title was green with pen V. Oh, <laughs> but I think I think a hundred shades of green might oh, yeah. be better. <laughs> green with Penvy was pretty bad, mm. and we never got around to it because, like, who needs yet another blog? But right. <laughs> so yeah, got one of those, and I can't wait to to use it. I've been looking at some of the coloring users on Instagram to kind of see how they how they document it. Also, I, in sort of preparation for loading up a bunch of fountain pens with these various green inks, I pulled out an old fountain pen that I got. It's not that old. It's a currently made, but it's an old Kaveco AL Sport that I actually won from a pen addict uh, giveaway that he did. Oh, neat. And cool. it is, I, I love the form factor and the size of it, but I have since discovered I hate the, the, the nib. It's a medium nib. So it's a medium Kaveco nib and it just compared to the medium fine and the fine nibs yeah. that I have is just like, feels like I'm writing with like a, I don't know, like a dull marker. It's just so. Yeah. <laughs> I like those golf marks. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, it, yes. I had one of those too. I had a AL Sport with a medium nib, and I hated it. Like I just yeah. hated it. I used the fine, and I liked the broad even. Like that was kind of cool. But the medium, yeah. was, it was just a, it was a mess, and my, mine was skipping a lot. And it's yeah. like it's like they made fifty million of them, and they just like have to work through their stock or something. Yeah, yeah. So I might I might just order a fine nib for this and replace it. But yeah, I have mm-hmm. a fine in mine, and it's like really fine. Yeah, like a lot finer than I'm used to. But it's smooth. Yeah. yeah. I think I think my my Parker and my pilots are the, the two pens I think I like the best. I'm still still figuring this out. <laughs> yeah. That's it for my fresh points. So real quick, because this isn't written down. I just got a shipping notification that my Parker 51 Deluxe is on the way. Yay. Oh, you ordered the deluxe. Fancy. I didn't order it. It was a present. Oh, okay. Well I mean, I was gonna it. order it, but <laughs> <laughs> Someone beat me to it. So the plum was on like ultra back order because if you see it, you'll know why it's so pretty. But so my little Henry has started bullet journaling every morning, which is really cool. I think we, I don't know if we've talked about this in the show before, but he seems to have inherited some of my brain quirks and he doesn't <laughs> focus very well. So he started keeping his bullet journal and she just, you know, does a little, a few bullets and a little gratitude section. And then I'll give him like two or three writing prompts, like, you know, what's up this weekend? And he uses his little fountain pens, whichever one he wants to use. And after seven days, he got a wax seal or a brass seal for wax. And anyway, his birthday was last week. So he had to do some thank you cards. And the kids exchanged letters with their grandmother at least once a week. So he sat down and wrote five thank you letters, a very elaborate picture for a card, and then wrote in his bullet journal. And I swear it's because he bullet journals every morning. So I'm taking full credit for this. It's like a big turnaround. It's really cool. He's he's not like a very confident artist and he's left-handed and, you know, they haven't been in school this year. So his handwriting could use some work. So Is he the only lefty in, in, your, in your house? Yeah, I think I only know three people who are left-handed. Him, you and my, or Henry, you and my friend Paul, hmm. who plays guitar right-handed, which is interesting. Anna Reiner is also left-handed. Oh, awesome. We should have like oh, people. a left-hander club. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, my only other thing is that the Tuesday zine, which is not written by me, is two months <laughs> old. As of when this comes out, the number eight is out, which includes an homage to Bellatrix Lestrange. And I also put out a, a larger one that's got all of them together, which is cheaper to buy and easier for me to make called Two Months of Tuesdays. Very creative. So it'd be fun to count how many times the F word is in there. Because that, that guy who writes that is some kind of dirty mouth fellow. Search find. How many? I'm going to blow up Google Docs. <laughs> yeah. So you want to move on, on to our main topic? Sounds good. Yay. So I had assigned myself the task of digging up some information about famous margin writers. But the only one I can think of is Hemingway because I didn't do it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he was famous for like writing all over his books. I would love to check out some of his comments. Do you guys have any famous or notable uh, marginalia folks? I know that Sylvia Plath did, and I don't know. I don't know much more than that. I should see if I can. I remember reading something about it. I should look it up. There was a 2012 New Yorker article called "The Marginal Obsession with Marginalia." What? And it, it looks like oh, it looks like Edgar Allan Poe did. 
Edgar Allan Poe wrote in 1844, I have always been solicitous of an ample margin. This is not so much through any love of the thing in itself, however agreeable, as for the facility it affords me of penciling in suggested thoughts, agreements, and differences of opinion, or brief critical critical comments in general. Oh, that's awesome. Johnny, you can get that tattooed on your back? Yeah, (laughs) I think you can. Uh, Yeah. I'm look real good on your back. lower back, just just written. <laughs> That's gonna wrap around my torso. I'm gonna have to gain another COVID nineteen to fit it. I guess. I guess if it's marginalia, they should write it kind of in between your other tattoos, right? Just sort of like. Oh yeah, That's good. yeah. Just like wind it all the way. As like filler. Yeah, <laughs> make it yeah, like exactly. completely illegible. Little coffee stain. Just have stain. a sleeve that's just marginalia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am dying for another tattoo. I can't remember where I saw this exhibit. I want to say it was at the Cloisters, but marginalia like used to be big in olden times. That sounds really dumb, Caitlin. In like biblical <laughs> manuscripts, so like illuminated manuscripts, where they're like monks were like writing everything down by hand. They would like basically doodle in the margins except for it was a lot more elaborate than doodling so yeah it's like even in the i'm literally wikipediaing this as i'm speaking just to make sure i'm not completely making this up Mm. it just was like like kind of a thing and it kind of made the the copies even more unique because they wouldn't draw the same pictures throughout like all the copies they made yeah it's just sort of like their weird personal touch yeah David Foster so Wallace. Andy, yeah. People have been doing this for centuries. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. David Foster Wallace was the one that I was going to mention. I remember hearing about his a while back because he would, I, I remember that I had found out about it because there was something about how he had written in the margins of his books a lot, but also in books that like you wouldn't expect him to be like marking up. Like, I mean, I see a picture here of Silence of the Lambs is one, but like Stephen King novels and stuff that like he read just kind of for, for enjoyment. Like he would, he would still fill those things up and, and, and write all over in his kind of crazy handwriting. I love, there's this picture of his, he drew on the face of Cormac McCarthy. Uh, <laughs> so that's not, I don't know if that counts as marginalia cause it's right on top of his face, but enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> so when we were talking about this, Andy confessed that he doesn't write in his books. So Andy is going to ask us questions. Um, and also, and also sort of do this. Yeah. And also sort of talk about that too, which I'm happy to do. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to hear about that. Yeah. So, so you want to I guess, take it away? Yeah. So I guess my first question is why, why do you mark up your books in the first place? And what do you, what do you get out of it? Like, what do you, like I'll ask some kind of process questions like after this, but mm-hmm. just, just open forum broadly. Why do you do it and what do you get out of it? Anybody uh, want to start? Can I jump I'll in first because I'm the oldest? Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, for me, mainly it's uh, memory issues. I, I need to refer back to stuff. And a lot of it you know, carries over from graduate school where I can't find that passage. I'm like, crap. So then the next time you read a book, you really write all over it. So What you're yeah. saying, Johnny, is you're not writing it down to remember it later. You're writing it down to remember it now. <laughs> I'm writing it down to remember it anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was actually gonna to quote that for my for my reason. Like I don't actually look back at my annotations very often, but it's just like my my thinking in the moment. It's like processing things as I read. That's why I do it a, a lot of the time, marking things down or underlining things that I uh, find interesting. And I'll copy stuff out that I really want to keep, but I don't often look back at the the notes. Yeah, yeah. 
Caitlin, do you do you marginalia? I tend to do it mostly with like poetry, like just lines mm. that I really like, and I'll go back to them and like revisit them. It goes hand in hand with you know dog gearing some of my books. In other words, I'm not particularly gentle on my literature, but that's also one of the things I sort of find satisfying about it. The first time I wrote in a book, it was kind of like this is my book and I can do what I want. So there's like some sort of like satisfaction I get out of defacing a book a little bit. But yeah, I agree with what Johnny and Tim were saying. Like sometimes I'll just write stuff in the margins to sort of like process it or ask myself like a question about it and I'll come back to it eventually. Maybe not ever, but it's there. Hmm. It's sometimes kind of like a fun surprise because you forget what you write in books sometimes. Oh man, I love when you look back at a book that you've, you've read before and you find something that you've written in the margins and it just makes you cringe where you're like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> you thought you were so smart when you wrote that. <laughs> like you, th- you thought you were so cool when you noticed that, oh, this is like the Christ figure of the book or whatever, like in college, <laughs> like where you're like constantly you're reading looking, the line, the wish in the wardrobe. Yeah, constantly like, looking at this. Yeah. You're constantly looking for the same three things to pop out at you. Or whatever. <laughs> I had a professor when I was a freshman, I had never written in the margins of my books really until I got to college. And I had a professor in humanities who his name was Denny Helsebeck. And it's like, he was like 112 years old when he was teaching the class. But I remember him like holding up a copy of the Odyssey by Homer, like on the, in case you mixed it up with another Odyssey, I thought I'd throw in Homer there, but <laughs> he held it up and he's like, this is not a trophy. This is not something that you have to keep in pristine condition. And he's like, get yourself a highlighter and write all over it, cover it. And he like flipped through his book and showed us. And there was just like tons of notes going up and down the sides, you know, like he just plastered it with all the notes from teaching it over the years. And that was the first moment where I was like, Oh, I have permission. You can do that. I didn't know you can do that. <laughs> Cause at that point, I think I would have like a notebook that I would write things in as I was reading. And I was like, Oh, I could just take out the middleman and just write straight in the book. <laughs> but thank yeah. you, Dr. Helsebeck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was trying to think about why, you know, ever since we started talking about this topic, why I don't, and I, I, this is uh, just completely like psychosomatic analyzation of myself, but like analysis of myself, but like, I think like, so in, in grade school, I, we did a lot of, like, we would turn in our books at the end of the year and then like the next, you know, next year, the, the next students would use them in, until it just got like really, really gross. So I, we were always sort of discouraged in grade school from writing in our books just so they would last a while. I went to a just sometimes slightly underfunded Catholic school that like, you know, you, you know, you pay tuition, tuition to go to it, but still is somehow underfunded. I'm sure Johnny remembers that. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would, you know, we would do that thing where we would wrap our our books in brown paper just to kind of keep the covers nice. Mm -hmm. And I would doodle all over that. I would doodle on the, on the brown paper cover, but I would not do it inside the book. And I have zero idea if that has any, any bearing on why I don't. I also, I got a lot of library books when I was a kid. Like, I mean, I had a lot of books, but also I got a lot of books in the library and I just didn't want to, you know, you don't, you don't take margin, do marginalia in library books. Books are sacred. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I have zero idea, but it just like, it makes me uncomfortable to, even if it's a book that I own, like it is because you're right. It's not a trophy, right? Like it's, this is, this is yours. If you give it to someone, you can like, you know, they can, you know, look at, take a glimpse into your wisdom or whatever. But I, 
just it makes me really uncomfortable to try to like like think of things to write in it and and what's weird about that is when i read kindle books i highlight passages all the time like i don't usually take notes in them but you know in, in kindle you can just like tap on some text and drag and highlight a passage do that all the time so it's fine for ebooks just not paper books <laughs> so so when, I, when you were yeah. in school if you had to do a paper that was like you know a really close exegesis of a, a text you wouldn't like touch it with a writing instrument at all um i mean i english I, major right yeah and i i usually yeah. did that in a notebook like on the side i would you know okay. if i and and i i mean i have there is a difference, I think, in my head between like highlighting passages of a book with a highlighter or an underlining or whatever, and writing marginalia. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have definitely highlighted into books a lot more, but most of the time, I've, you know, just kept a notebook, like a side notebook, to, to remember, like, oh, page forty-three, second paragraph, or whatever, to, to keep track of that stuff. I remember, I can't remember what I was reading, like a, probably a Victorian novel where like there's a bajillion characters and all of their names are familiar are, are similar <laughs> sir john or something and I, I remember at one point keeping keeping track in the front of the book like on the the one of the header pages like just a list of characters and their like relations to each other and i just remember feeling real weird about that like hey i'm just <laughs> writing in the front but at the same time like you know i was going to sell my book back to the to the bookstore after i was done with it and you know maybe somebody else could benefit from that so i, I completely see what you're saying about like how it's interesting to go back, even if you're cringing, you can kind of mm-hmm. go back and see what you were thinking at the time. Or if, you know, you're passing this book along, it's useful to somebody else. But it's just like one of those things that I just, it's hard to to get over. I think part of it is it's kind of uncomfortable for me to like actually write in margins. I don't think that's just a left-handed thing because if a right-hander was using, was trying to write in like the right margin, I imagine it would be like the same sort of uncomfortableness. But Yeah, it is weird. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought brought up the the book covers because I the schools I went to were the same way. We were yeah. really underfunded, and so we had all these different hacks for like covering them in newspaper and then covering the newspaper with like contact paper, so it was like really mm. protected. Yeah, and yeah, you you would get in big trouble if you ever ever wrote in those. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what's funny is. I like you're talking, you're talking about this and it popped into my head, the dictionary at that school and the dictionaries were all defaced and written in, but with like fake definitions. And there's one (laughs) that like, I can still picture this in my head written in the margin of the F page to this day, a fart, <laughs> desperate cry of a lonely turd. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, I, I've remembered this since I was in like the second grade. <laughs> Pre-urban dictionary. Pre-urban dictionary. One of those big, like green-covered Merriam-Webster's. Yeah, that's so good. That Fantastic. kind of marginalia is special. Yeah. <laughs> You don't forget that. That's awesome. <laughs> so I, w- I would love to know, maybe from some of you more prolific marginalia writers, a little bit about your process, or maybe you can walk me through like a book that you write in. Like, do you do you do this to all books? Do you just do it to nonfiction or just to fiction? Or like, do you 
how polished is the idea that you write in there? Like how much are you sort of self-censoring or editing before you put it down? Or is it just whatever? I'm definitely just like whatever. I put down all kinds of stuff. But I do have like, I guess there are like a few categories that end up happening. If I think about like one thing I've gotten into the habit of doing over the last decade or so is always marking words that I like. Like if there's a word that I don't know that I want to remember, I'll usually, you know, circle Mm -hmm. it or underline it and then I'll write the definition in the margin. So that's something that I I do. See, what's nice about a Kindle is you can just tap on it and it pulls (laughs) up the the definition. And sometimes when I'm reading a a paper book, I get Mm -hmm. frustrated that I can't do that. (laughs) I just, I literally, and I show my students like in class, I'll be like, what's that word mean? They're like, I don't know. Can you guess? (laughs) No. How about you ask Siri? Because your phone is three inches away from your face. And they're Uh like, so they'll be, so we'll be reading and the kid will be like, hey, Siri, what is a affable mean or whatever, you know, they'll write it down. But so I do that. And then of course there's like the thinking and processing stuff. But one thing I like to do is the, the, in especially in fiction or in an essay, like the last page of it, there's usually like the gap in the page, like the, you know, last half page that's empty or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll put some, I'll write like final thoughts about what's hmm. gone on in that chapter, what I thought about it, especially with nonfiction or, es- or essays. I only do that in fiction really if it's like, if I have like a task, like when we were doing the membership podcast, if I was thinking of things that I wanted to talk about or yeah. whatever, then that's a place where I would put it at the end of the sort of like the last extra half page, at the end of a chapter. Hmm. That's why you're an English teacher. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Far less intentional or even detailed than that. Mostly when I'm writing in my books, I do a lot of underlining and I prefer to underline than highlight for some reason. And it's mostly in fiction or like poetry. And it's like, like an appreciation of a sentence I really like. Like I just like the way that it was crafted and don't often write in books. I guess I just don't often write in books for, with like a a purpose. It's just more. Mm. You just have your pencil in hand, I guess. Yeah. Huh? You just have your pencil in hand when you're reading and, you know, just kind of extend it like as, as part of reading. I mean, it is a more like active reading Yeah, process, it's right? like, like a little bit yeah. of like appreciation of the literature, you know, yeah. just like, oh, that, that was so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Johnny, what kind of stuff do you usually write? I did a lot of like themes when I was working on my dissertation and I had to, Use a lot of Nietzsche's texts. Like all of my Nietzsche books have marked off every time he mentions hate or despising and enemies and stuff like that, so, like in the entire effing book because the indexes are useless. So there's a lot of stuff like that. And you could turn that into a Tuesday zine. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah my dissertation was on hate. So I, I, I had practice. I should make that a zine. It'll be more funny. But yeah, I'll, there was a, definitely a purpose to that. But now when I do it, a lot of it's just to remember things like him said a word that I want to explore a little more later or, you know, anytime that in a book about Thoreau, they mention his pencil manufacturing. I tend to mark that off and put a page in the back listing all the pages where that's listed <laughs> or Jumpa Lahiri has so much good food writing that a lot of times I'll have a list like running in the back of the book about, oh, lapsang souchong tea and you know, latte bowls and stuff like that. But a lot of mine, the process is just sort of like grouping things together so that I can refer back mm. to it later. 
if that makes any sense. And, mm-hmm. and do you? Like, do you refer back to it, like, right after you finish the book or years later or something else? Both. Like, for all my Nietzsche books I used for undergrad and my MA and my PhD, so there are, like, layers and layers of marginalia in there. So looking back at them is actually tricky because I can't read my own writing from 20 years ago. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, for the zine or something like that, I, I want to look up uh, a passage from Hemingway and I have it, I know I have it marked off and I sort of have like my memory sucks, but it's visual. So I can picture like what side it's on and if it's at the mm-hmm. bottom and I can find it more easily that way. Oh, I can, that's the same, same for me. Interesting. Yeah. 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 And there, Oh, and I'm, I'm haunted by, I swear that in the varieties of religious experience that William James referred to the writings of Nietzsche as like the screechings of a dying rat. And this was wow. in like 2002. I still can't <laughs> find this damn citation. And it would have been perfect for my dissertation. Couldn't find it. The internet was no help. I like scoured my book that I wrote all over. No help. So ever since then, I'm very paranoid. I write down anything that's that awesome because that was pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I would have underlined so- that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> So let's let's say let's say you walk into a bookstore and you find on the shelf a book that you you really want to read. It's a used bookstore, and you open it and you're looking through it, and there's just like it's full of marginalia written by somebody else. Would that um, encourage you or discourage you from buying that book? It'd be a hard say- pass for me. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it uh, was it like? You know, like the author and the, a book that they wrote, or was it like you know a famous person, or is it just like some Joe Schmo? Oh, yeah, yeah. Generally, though, generally they'll pass, right? right yeah. If I if I if I'm at a used bookstore and there's stuff written in the margins, I avoid it if if at all possible. Yeah. I've had I've bought books used before that had like a handful of things written in them, and I've like had to go get another one. <laughs> unless it was a really sickness. Unless it was a really thoughtful definition of fart. Yeah. Exactly. That, that would have exactly. that would have kept me kept me engaged. But yeah. And I do have the it's this actually reminds me. Have you do you guys know about the book S? Or Ship of yes. Theseus is like another name of it. Mm-hmm. I haven't read this yet, but but it's it was it was an idea that was conceived by JJ Abrams. Hmm. And it came out in twenty thirteen and it was a novel that this guy Doug Doris like he wrote a novel called ship of Theseus by like this fictional author. But then the actual like story happens in the marginalia. Oh, interesting. Like, so there's like, so the book is printed with like stuff written in the margins. Yeah. Interesting. That makes sense. Huh. And so yeah. I have a friend who I need to borrow it. Cause she's, she's recommended it to Jane and I like several times, but it's, it's out of print. So it's a little expensive to get now, but it, she like was just in love with this book and I need to check it out. Cause it's like, yeah, the whole, like like a bunch of loose like stuff is is like tucked into the pages and stuff's written in the margins and like a lot of the story takes place on the extra stuff that's like in oh there. cool so yeah that one I would buy because it's on purpose but yeah <laughs> have you read yeah. House of Leaves by Daniel Lewski? Mm-hmm. it's sort of like layers and layers of text and footnotes and marginalia I don't know why I didn't think of that before tonight I read it but I read it in college but yeah I, that I book is creepy oh my yeah. god. <laughs> Loved it. Caitlin, would you buy a book with somebody else's marginalia? I think it would depend just a little bit, but I would because I kind of find it a little bit charming. I, it, it would depend because, of course, it wouldn't. 
I don't think I would go and buy something that was like annotated, like super scholarly. But if it were just like somebody like enjoying a piece of literature and kind of commenting on it throughout the way, I kind of find that nice. Hmm. Like if you buy a used book and you find the old library card still inside. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Did I ever tell you that I, so I, I bought this, I think my mom bought it for me. It was just one of those old books from like the forties, fifties, sixties that are, that are kind of like gold foil embossed on like fabric just just that really fantastic texture and it was purchased at a used bookstore and it recently had belonged to our local public library and a coworker of mine who was quite a bit older than me checked it out in 1962 and she was like eight years old and i later sent it to her as like hey you read this book when you were eight because oh her name gosh. was still written on that library card it was it was so cool that's yeah. so special yeah Sorry, side, side side conversation there. No, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Johnny, would you? Johnny, would you? Would you buy a book written by somebody else, um, or written in the margins of somebody else? Depends. Maybe I I have before if it was like a really rare book and I couldn't find another copy of it. Yeah. But generally, no. But I do like to buy books that have the dedication written in them. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like oh, I yeah, can, that's fun. Yeah, you can oh, yeah, pick up yeah, on like the vibe, that. like when someone's like. It's so also and kind so. of sad when they're like, "I think you'll love this book," and it's like, "I'm buying it at a used bookstore." Yeah, like a year so later, clearly, <laughs> clearly they hated it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's so. I read about this and thought about you right away. <laughs> Great, thanks. <laughs> um. So, of course, this is a podcast about tools. And do you use a pencil or a pen or a highlighter or um? something fine-tipped or broad-tipped. What, what do you use to write the margins? Johnny, how about you? Always pencil. Yeah. Because in part, you know, sometimes I, you know, misspell something and it just looks terrible. And I have gone through books before and been like, oh, why did I highlight that? That's not important. And now it's really distracting. And also, if I ever wrote on them, I usually would use a ballpoint pen and it destroys the paper. Yeah. Like, you know, if you pick up something 15 years later, you're like, oh, that's why you're not supposed to use a Bic. <laughs> Do you think something pretty firm or pretty soft? So this is super nerdly and I can talk to you guys about it. I have like a small fleet of pencils that I like to use for marginalia and I test them in the back of a book before I use them because hmm. so many books have, you know, such differently textured paper. Yeah. Like the one I'm reading right now, a uh, velvet number two is perfect because it's got a nice tooth to hmm. it. Yeah. But yeah I, it actually, so it gives me nice. Yeah. It's like some yeah. pleasurable. It won't smear. I can still see it. That's a really good idea. Super Caitlin, how about you? I'm a little bit more about what's on hand <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. when I'm writing in books, but I generally go for pencil, especially in like paperbacks, that sort of like really textured paper. Pencil's so good for that. Yeah. But it feels really good. Tim, do you have a, a go-to? Not really. I mean, I'm a big highlight highlighter person I, I underline stuff sometimes usually pencil but i really it really bothers me if i can't write a straight line like mm-hmm, underlining yeah. things or if like i squiggle over the words like it just drives me nuts and so it has to be pencil so that i can fix that but i usually it's highlighter within the book unless i'm circling something like the word or whatever yeah. and then i usually write in the margins of the pencil and it's i'm not too picky i guess mm-hmm. i mean just kind of the same stuff i always always use I suppose just not, it's nothing too soft because usually book paper, it just seems to be a little, yeah. Um, yeah. It seems to me that a, doofier. 
that a bridge pencil would be really good for that because you can kind of like yeah. tuck tuck it away like in the book when you're done with it pretty easily. Yeah, mm-hmm. like if it's a paperback. Yeah, it's also disappear in my hand while I'm writing it. Yeah, <laughs> Where's it, where to go? Where'd... Tim, do you ever use those highlighter pencils? I've tried, but I just didn't like them. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I, I have a couple of them. I just didn't care for it. I, I, some were given to me, and then I had, I think, some of those you buy or Ubi or whatever from oh, Target. The Ubi ones are bad. Yeah, those are bad. <laughs> but I'm, I don't really care for it. I like, I like a good, bright, like green highlighter. Mm. So, yeah, or orange. I like orange. <laughs> <laughs> Yellow, blue. Or yellow. Um, There's also <laughs> blue. <laughs> Red, black. Love a black highlighter. <laughs> black, like a black oh, highlighter. Those, oh, man. Those mild liners are it's a thing now. And it's just a great. Yeah. <laughs> blackout poems. And, yeah, I like yeah. to black it out so nobody else can, can read it once I've read it. Uh, this is mine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is my knowledge read. now. It would be amazing if somebody did that like to everything, like an entire book, like to know, instead of a bookmark, they just like... <laughs> Sharpie like, out every line after they read it. Like it's uh. like it's like Snapchat, but for reading a book. Yeah. Like you can only read it once, and then we're just gonna black it out. <laughs> oh my gosh! I finished this one, and then you put it up on the <laughs> shelf. And like, can I borrow that? Oh, you don't want to borrow that. <laughs> Why does does it suck? <laughs> good yeah, good luck. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like it has no story at all. Yeah. <laughs> Last question from me. And then if anybody else has anything they want to share or ask, love to know it. If you are, you know, talking to somebody about as as you are now, who are hesitant to become a margin writer, what would you say to convince them? What's your what's your uh value proposition here? Caitlin, how about you? Oh, I'm immediately gonna go with the crime angle. Do it. <laughs> Do it, Andy. Be bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all I got for you. Do it because it's yours. It's your book. You can do whatever you want to it. I'm probably going to have to ding this out, but you know, you can you can write the book, you know, cuz the police. <laughs> exactly. There you go. It's almost like I I kind of equate it to like putting your own like personality stamp onto a book in some ways, which not like, that's not like why I do it, but afterwards that's how it feels, you know, like it's like you get, you get, you pick out a new baseball glove and you're like, this is the perfect glove for me. And you get it all broken in and you play with it for three years. And then afterwards you're like, Oh, that's got a lot of character to it. I wasn't playing baseball in order to give it character. (laughs) I wasn't like wearing these boots every day to give them character as if I had ever worn cowboy boots, but like, you know what I mean? (laughs) So I think it's just, it's kind of a cool way to let you and the book kind of blend together a little Mm -hmm. bit and blur the, blur the, blur the lines or whatever. Yeah. It makes it so much more personal. Yeah. 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 After, after the fact, I mean, it really is pleasant to look back over a book, especially when you really enjoyed it and look back and kind of re experience your first, your first reading of it in some ways Mm or, or second reading. Like I, when I'm working on that thing for, for Johnny Zine, the, I got my original copy of, grapes of wrath out that i read in college and i was like looking through the margins and i saw all the little which we didn't mention these but those plastic colorful tabs oh yeah mm-hmm. and stuff like i saw all those and it was just flipping through and looking at them, and i was just like transported back to that the afternoon i like blew through the second half of the book when i was poaching my neighbor's couch and like 
<laughs> or my, my sweet mate's couch and like, cause it was more comfortable and read through that book and I could just flip through it now and just sort of relive it. And that was, that was pretty cool. It's a, I do love a plastic tab. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, do too. <laughs> I do too. So hmm. that's what I, that, I don't know. I guess that would be okay. my answer. It's a way to kind of put your stamp or, or to, it's like a time capsule, I guess is what I'm saying. Like a time capsule of your personality and how you interacted with that book down the road. Oh yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Johnny, what do you think? I'm that guy that gets people what I'm into for presents and tends to be kind of pushy and proselytizing. <laughs> but I don't... <laughs> what? All these foam pens I have on my, my desk? I don't know what you mean, Johnny. <laughs> All these green inks showing up at your head. Yeah. I, I, don't, I wouldn't try to do it because... I mean, if somebody is a reader and they don't write in their books, like whatever they're doing is working. Unless it's like, you know, a specific advice for, hey, if you don't want to mess up grad school, like you better really read closely <laughs> and this helps. But even then, if whatever works is working for somebody, I don't want to mess with it. Yeah. Now I sound like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some really different takes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't do it. <laughs> Do it because it's special, and because you're bad. <laughs> it's like I don't, I, I don't. And Johnny's like, I don't care if you do it or not. Just, just read. Yeah, you do, you man. <laughs> you do. <laughs> if you write in my yeah. book, I will break your effing arm. <laughs> that happened in, in, in college. I lent someone a book, and they wrote all over it because they thought they were smart, and I threatened him. It was bad. Oh. And I out. <laughs> that's kind of criminal if you write if you loan a book to somebody and they write in it yeah Mm -hmm. i think it's criminal that i didn't follow up on my threat i as a teacher i i I literally spend the first week of school teaching my students how to do this i'm not going to go into all the detail but i like i have a pretty hardcore like week-long system of teaching them how to like read closely and write in the margins hmm that That's I do cool. every year that I've been doing for like five years. Hmm. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's not what we're talking about. Like the enjoyable stuff. This is like when you're reading, you know, reading with a purpose, like for school or something, yeah. but it's, but like by the end of the year, I've always got, I've got all my kids trained. They look for they're underlining and writing about the main idea. They're asking questions. They're highlighting vocabulary. They're making connections to history, other texts in their own life. And then sharing like their own opinions and ideas. It's like those five things. They're always like trying to do all five of those things on every page that they read. And they're, they're writing it in the margins. And I, I literally like grade their, (laughs) I grade their margins when I, after they read something to see how closely they read. That's like the best way for me to tell. Tim's not going into it, but if you pay eighty nine ninety five on Masterclass, <laughs> you too can learn from Tim. Yes, yeah. How to write the margin? Three small payments of thirty nine ninety nine. <laughs> I'll send you the. I'll send you the VHS. You yeah, get a free trial. Is there anything on it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Do Just not be a pirated, alarned if it's pirated copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something. <laughs> oh, I would be so happy. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I> think I... <laughs> yeah. All right. Any any closing thoughts? Anybody want to talk about something I did not mention here? Um, I would mention I have, I have one random question. What do you guys use for sharpening? Like, do you like long point, short point mm. for this kind of thing cuz like this matters, like really does. <laughs> so people are listening to this. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of yeah. course, of course. Long point. 
Long pollux, mm-hmm. sure. probably. Ugh. Sorry. See, I would think that. <laughs> Ooh, just, I got some grunts from that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you <God>. did. Pollux. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you, I bet. Uh, what's the word I want? I don't have as much access to pe- great pencil sharpeners as I used to. <laughs> what's? It seems like you would want a like a short point so you can like really choke up on the pencil because you're not going to be able to like you're going to have to rest your hand pretty carefully in order to write in those margins. I think the long point helps me write smaller and mm-hmm. like more precisely, mm-hmm. especially for underlining. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, like a firm, one of the firm black wings is like perfect for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm totally the opposite. Or, or like, I shoot me <laughs> a mechanical pencil. Oh, <gasps> <gasps> right. With for underlining. But you know, some mechanical pencils are cool. I mean, if you had like a vintage celluloid Schaefer that weighed six pounds with gold trim, that'd be neat. Is that what you use? <laughs> <laughs> I one don't those, think so. <laughs> one of those lead holders that uh, that Tim got at the. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That would be a nightmare. No, no, thank you. No, uh, not that one. I, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll take a mechanical pencil once in a while, but not that one. <laughs> I do not like that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like looking at it. I just don't like using it. <laughs> yeah, lately, I have one of those Coom Anniversary, like the little glass jar sharpener that I use for twiddling them because the pencil I was using was too short to fit into my electric sharpener because it has a clip on it. So instead of taking the clip off, I just grabbed a different sharpener and I grew to kind of like it. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> you know, I, I just, this is like a slight, slight, slight tangent. But it is about sharpeners. I discovered recently that one of my bosses has the like ideal electric sharpener, the the Panasonic, the big like manila colored ones, the faux wood front with the wood grain. Yeah, we were talking about uh, this. Yeah, we were just talking about that. Like, we were texting about this last night, like yeah. about that sharpener. Yeah, was like, you That's... you know what you're about. Yeah. <laughs> But she she brought this sharpener. They just had their headshots done, the owners of the the company I work for. And she brought the sharpener as her prop for the for the headshot. (laughs) That's awesome. That's That's, that is a that's a good move. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right before Tim uh, texted to say that he's running a bit behind, it's a message from Johnny that reads, I wonder if I can buy some kind of wood grain adhesive on a sheet that I could cut to fit over the front of his exacto <laughs> <Yeah>. sharpener. <laughs> That's right. Just talking yeah. about that Panasonic. I mean, it's, oh it's God, not a sexy machine. Yeah. That's amazing. Cool. So that's, that's the main topic. That's, that's a wrap up for me. I'll toss it back over to Johnny. Okay. So uh, thank you for joining us, Caitlin. Can you tell folks where yeah. to find you on the internets? Thank you for having me. Really only one place these days, which is just Instagram. It's just kate.elgin. At... Follow me for lots of plants. <laughs> <laughs> How about you guys, regular folks? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Wassum, and I'm on Instagram at Timothy Wassum. And I'm on Twitter Twitter and Instagram at, at awelfly. And on the other one at the web <laughs> at andy.wtf how about you johnny i'm at a pencilrevolution.com and on social media at pencilution and you can find <clears throat> excuse me you can find erasable on social media at erasable podcast you can find our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash erasable 
and our page is facebook.com slash erasable podcast. You can find us on the internet via a web browser if you're feeling really old school. What? I keep forgetting that we have a website. A word processor. (laughs) You type it. It's erasable.us. And this episode will be at erasable.us slash 165. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash erasable. And these very fine folks support us at the producer level, which is $10 a month. I'm going to take a, a big breath and I don't have any water here. Do it all in one breath. If I pass out, <laughs> I'm going to tag one of you into a. <laughs> so many thanks to David Johnson, Phil Munson, Nate Rayback, Donnie Pierce, Bill Black, Miriam Beckout, Harry Marks, Allison Sapita, Diane Oakley, Tom Keekley, Andre Torres, Kyle, Paul Moorhead, Andrew Squish, Ali Sarah, Jamelia, Stephen Fransali, Aaron Willard, A.O. Pryor, K.P., Millie Blackwell, Chris L., Hunter McCain, Bob Oswald, Michael Dialosa, Adam Prabola, Jocelyn R. Myers, Tana Feliz, Ann Sipe, Joe Crace, Measure Twice, Michael Hagen, Chris Metzkis, Bill Clow, Random Thinks, Jason Dill, Dave McDonald, Mary Collis, Alex Jonathan Brown, Andre Prevost, Kathleen Rogers, Bobby Letzinger, Fourth Letter, Kelton Weens, Scott Hayes, Hans Nudelman, Terry Beth, Jay Newton, Stuart Lennon, Dave Tubman, Chris Jones, and John Wood. Many, many thanks, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. Turn it off.